so, um, Acts, um, or if you want to follow this, it's, it's chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 1. Uh, the words of Luke, we believe. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, whilst he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray together. And again, before I bring... The words that I prepared, let's just be still for a moment and know that he is God and he is here. And in the quietness, we maybe take the advantage of having one of those wonderful conversations with God, telling him those things that are on our heart, those things that we're desperate for him to do, those things that lay heavy. Just in the quietness, we bring those to God, but give him time just to respond, because we have a God who speaks. And in the quietness, I wonder if you could just find the grace to just pray for me. But I won't get in the way of what God might do, but just be simply his means of grace. Lord God, speak, we pray. Give us hearts ready to receive. Give us eyes that are open. Give us words that we may have heard a hundred times before, but may it be today the day where they take root in our lives 
and we find freedom and we find fruit and we find your calling and we find excitement. Lord God, would you come and encourage us through your word so that we cannot but go into this world with passion to see the healing of the sick, the good news to the poor, recovery of sight for the blind, release to the captives. Lord, be at work, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a huge uh, fantasy fan, and um, every now and again you, you read a great series of fantasy books, and then you run out, and you're having to wait a year for the next book to come out. Um, Robin Hobb is uh, one of my favourite authors, and she hasn't written a new book on a series for about five years, and it's just coming out, and I've just got it off Amazon, and it's there waiting for me, and I'm excited to open it up and start reading the wonders of that book. And then I think to myself, that's me. But how did Theophilus feel? Because he had read that first book, the Gospel of Luke. And he was amazed by it. He loved the radical teaching, the new upside-down kingdom, thinking, the incredible stories of healing and hope, of barriers of gender, race and ethnicity being knocked down. It was the most incredible once-in-a-lifetime read. And now we find him with part two in his hands. And he undoes the scroll with sweaty hands, not wanting to mark the ink, as he thinks, what's going to happen next? And straight away, there's no surprises. He reads that after Jesus' death and resurrection, he kept popping up all over the place, teaching about the kingdom. And Theophilus already knew from the first book about some of this. He knew about the two disciples walking the Emmaus Road. He knew about Jesus coming in the upstairs room but he'd also read about how he came to Thomas and healed him with a touch and how he came to do breakfast with Peter and recommission him for glory he would hear about the remarkable stories of how Jesus turned up where there was 500 of his followers in the same place he would hear about how Jesus was on the move but if none of that was a surprise the next bit what we just had read would have been a real surprise I suggest, because during a mealtime, Jesus says to his disciples, don't do anything. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait. Wait. Don't do anything until the gift of my Holy Spirit comes. Wait until you've gone deeper. Wait until you know me more. Wait until I come with my spirit and shape you and fill you. Wait. And it's at this point, I think Theophilus must have fallen off his chair or whatever he was sat on. What do you mean, wait? Half of them have already been sent to heal the sick and cast out demons. What do you mean, wait? They've got the good news of Jesus, the kingdom, eternal life. What do you mean, wait? And it's here that we ask the difficult question. Why did they have to wait? Why did those group of believers have to wait to go deeper and build, be filled with the Spirit before they could go out and declare Jesus' love to a hurting, separate world. And it's here we ask this question. If it was important for those early disciples to wait, what must we be doing in our waiting and our going deeper? What is it the Holy Spirit's going to do that's going to make them ready to go out and enlarge Shalom and see communities transformed and the gospel spread across the world? And what is it that the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and me this morning and in our day-to-day lives so that we can go and enlarge Shalom wherever God may call? And perhaps we ask the question, 
is the reason why we're not seeing lots of conversion growth and lots of healing of the sick in our communities. Is that a reason because perhaps we've not gone deeper first, that we've not been filled with the Spirit first? First of all, Jesus says, don't do anything. Wait. Go deeper. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's four reasons, I think, that Jesus says to wait. And here they are. The first is, it's the Holy Spirit going deeper that gives us as believers our identity. If you asked me, how do we know if Ben's married? I could do one of two things. I could go and get a wedding certificate, which I'm sure my wife's kept somewhere. <laughs> I could really bore you and bring the video. And, uh, and it really is a boring video. The minister got up and said a really funny joke and said, um, Ben's told me to keep it short, so I'm going to keep it to 40 minutes. Yeah. It wasn't a joke, he was 39 minutes. And he spent so long on women obey your husband that he forgot to get to the most important part. And all my non-Christian friends were sat there listening to how Ezra's joined the cult. It was terrible. <laughs> if you ask me how do I know that I'm a dad, I could show you the birth certificates. Uh, my wife could show you the scars. They've all come out the sunroof. <laughs> But how do we confirm that we're in a relationship with God? How do we confirm that we are in relationship with Jesus? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 14, says this. Because those of you who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him now we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. It's by going deeper and being filled with the Spirit that affirms our identity. It's by going deeper and being filled with the Holy Spirit that affirms that we're in a relationship with God. It's by being filled with the Holy Spirit and being deeper that we know that we are children of God. It's the Holy Spirit and going deeper that lets us know that we have a perfectly heavenly Father. And it's like a father and child relationship in many ways. The first of which we go deeper. We find this wonderful intimacy with God. I'm from Dorchester. And I don't know how many of you are aware of Dorchester. But we have now a Berlin Wall in Dorchester, where Prince Charles has built Poundbury on the edge. And so you've got all old Dorchester, and then this whole new estate that's been built by, by Prince Charles. And uh, my family have moved to this Poundbury. Uh, my parents in retirement. My brother is a funeral director. And uh, Prince Charles go, comes down to visit all the different businesses. Oh, yeah, he made that relationship, yeah. <laughs> Should get discounts, shouldn't we? And, uh, and uh, but, but Prince Charles comes down to see what's going on, and he visits some, some of the businesses. And he came to meet my brother. And uh, before he came, and before Prince Charles met my brother, he had a, a, an aide come in and tell my brother how to greet Prince Charles. You have to say, sir, or... Uh, the uh, right honourable, uh, I can't even remember the exact words, but it's a, a set title that you had to respond when speaking <coughs> to Prince Charles. And I got thinking, Prince Charles has got loads of titles. He's the Duke of Cornwall, the Knight of the Garter. 
Not sure what that means. <laughs> Colonel in chief of the Royal Regiment of Wales is the Duke of Rothay. He's the Knight of the Thistle, the Rear Admiral of the Royal Navy, the Great Master of Wider Bath, the Earl of Chester, the Earl of Carrick, Lord of the Isles, the Great Steward of Scotland. And if you sign a letter to him, you put the Royal Highness's most humble and obedient servant. But to William and Harry, he's dad. To William and Harry, he's daddy. And when we go deeper, then we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We know the God who created the world. We know the God that holds the whole world in judgment. We know the whole God as Abba, as intimate Father, as Saviour. We have intimacy. But not only do we have intimacy, we grow that deep father and child relationship. I will never forget when... um, we were like the poor family in our church. It was a typical Baptist church. It was very sort of middle class. There was a lot of, uh, lot of doctors, similar to you guys. You know, if someone collapsed, you had to work out who was the most specialist. Uh, <laughs> but if you needed a light bulb change, everybody was like, what? <laughs> and uh, we, were like, we, we, we were like, we didn't have a lot of money. And um, my dad uh, got given a car. We used to have this sort of old P-Reg Allegro. And then out of, out of the blue, we had an F-plate, you know, the right way round registration, Renault 12, it was beautiful. And uh, we were given this car, and uh, I learned to drive in this car. And uh, it was my dad's pride and joy, I mean, he polished it every day. He'd never known anything as beautiful as this car. And one day I dropped him off at work and went to the off-licence to buy a 12-pack of beers to go and watch the cricket. And uh, I got back in the car, and... Uh, Sorry, this is, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but there's this lovely looking lady came out of the shop and I thought, I'll oh, beat me on because I'm in a nice car. And I beat my horn as I pulled out into the side of a brand new Ford Mondeo. <laughs> and it was like the car was drivable, but the whole bonnet was just like smashed up. And I had to go and pick my dad back up from work. And as I drove down the road to pick him up, his face just dropped. And I got out of the car and I, I'll be honest with you, I burst into tears. I was shaken, I was upset at what I'd done. And I'll never forget what my dad did there because he threw his arms around me. And he says, it doesn't matter. We'll get the car fixed as long as you're all right. And as soon as it's fixed, you're driving again and you fall off a horse, get back on. And it's the same with God. When we go through moments in our life when we feel like we're going to crash the most difficult, God comes amongst us as Father and gives us that deep relationship, that huge embrace and gives us the strength to move on. But not only does this father-child relationship offer us intimacy and a deep relationship, it also offers us security. My dad didn't have much money, which made him the tightest man in the universe. I'll never forget once on holiday, just about half an hour south of here, I popped into a shop and spent 20p on a key ring for my collection. And my dad made me take it back because every time his back's turned, money's spent. But now, for some reason, he's retired. And he started to spend money like it's water. They go on cruises and all sorts now. And I say, oh, Dad, that's my inheritance. (laughs) But thankfully, I'm not reliant just on my parents' inheritance. But as a heir of God, I cannot but know that when I die, I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God. Where there's going to be no tears, no pain, no hunger, no thirst. Where there's going to be joy, mercy and love forever and ever. The first reason for that we go deeper is it's that which gives us our identity. It's that that tells us that we're his children, but it's intimate and it's a deep relationship. And the only way any of us are going to evangelise to anyone 
we cannot take people to where we're not. We can only bring people to where we are. So it's only by going deeper and being assured of who we are that we can bring people along on that journey too. There's a wonderful song I love singing at the moment. We don't sing it at Westbury because it's one of those songs I know we'd murder. Uh, at Westbury, we can only sing songs that have a right meter to it. And every time I introduce a new song, it's, I wish I hadn't. And, uh, but there's a lovely song called Good, Good Father. And I think it answers the two most important questions of our day. Who God is and who are we? And the chorus simply says, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. And if you go to Woody's or Christchurch, by the time you've sung it 20 times, you start to believe it. <laughs> the first reason we go deeper and wait before we enlarge Shalom is it gives us our identity. The second reason is, it's only by going deeper and being filled with the Spirit that we can have the character to make us not hypocrites. So my daughter, who's now nearly three years old, again, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this story, but we have a little game, which is just before bath time, and kids love baths, is that when we finally, she's naked, I do something funny. And I, well, I why am I telling you this? But I say, I say, Anna, your bottom is delicious. And when I run after and I grab her and I blow raspberries into a bottom, please tell me other dads do that. <laughs> so every time we have a bath, that's our little game. Anna, your bottom is delicious. And uh, I kept doing it, kept doing it, and she just started a swimming club on a Thursday morning. <laughs> and, uh, and I happened to take her into the swimming pool, and when I was just about to get changed and was naked, Anna shouts out at the top of her voice, Daddy, your bottom is delicious! And chases me around in the changing room trying to throw glasses into it. But my children, it freaks me out. They are spent so much time with them, and I spend so many things doing with them, that they're ending up turning into me. They've got the same weaknesses and the same strengths, the same mannerism, the same sense of humour. They spent so much time with me, but they're revealing the same character as as an I. And if I was to have a hero in the Book of Acts, it would be the guy Stephen, the guy Stephen who had miraculous signs and did amazing things, the guy who was called to serve the widows in their food bank as they got food given to them. And this guy went around healing the sick as well and proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And when he was arrested, and when he was about to die because he wouldn't diss Jesus Christ in public, and as he's thrown into a pit, and as they take off their cloaks so that they can throw the stones even harder at him, And as the stones start to hit and the blood starts to spill and the muscles start to twitch and as he's about to die in his hardest time he does the most remarkable thing and he imitates Jesus and he says, Father, forgive them. And then just as he's about to die he says, into your hands I commit my spirit just as our Lord did at Calvary Hill Stephen had spent so long with Jesus, going deeper, being filled with the Spirit, that he imitated Jesus even at the most difficult occasions. Even when he was about to die, he was reflexed with the reflexes of Jesus. It's only by going deeper do we get the family likeness. It's only by being filled with the Spirit and going deeper that we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, 
peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Before we can go and enlarge Shalom, we have to go deeper and get the character. Because I've done 60 alphas over the last 10 years, 20 Christianity explores, 12 Freedom in Christs. And if ever anyone's got an issue, it's because they've got a Christian down the road who's been mean to them or has judged them, who's not been nice. C.S. Lewis says, when Christians misbehave, it makes Christianity unbelievable. Before they could go and enlarge Shalom, they had to go deeper and be filled with the character of Jesus. Are you all still with me? There's another two coming up. By the way, timing-wise, if we overrun, we'll do shorter in the next one, but are we all pretty relaxed? You're too polite to say otherwise. (laughs) The third reason we must wait is because it's in going deeper and being filled with the Spirit that we're given gifts for service. 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works for all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. We can't join in God's mission until he gives us the gifts and the talents to do so. Uh, Just a couple of stories. When I was training at college, um, it was a really difficult time for me. Um, I had had nine years in the wilderness, and I didn't really go into that. But during those nine years, I I was a drug dealer. I then went into running pubs, and uh, I was a right mess. And we had been Christians nine months um, for a miracle that we started training to be Baptist ministers. So there I am in the middle of a academic seminary and all around me are people who know their Bibles inside out. Um, and there's me and my wife who really had been Christians for nine months. I still not read half the Old Testament now. I mean, we were there and it was like, crikey, what are we doing? And we went to our first lectures, which was introduction to the New Testament. This was the easiest of the New Testament ones. It was introduction to it. And I sat down in this crowd and the bloke got up to speak and he used all sorts of words. They were ten letters long, each one. There were three or four syllables and the only thing that was missing was words that I possibly could understand. And I was sat there and the worst thing ever was I looked around as I didn't understand a word and everybody else was like this. <laughs> you know, revival was breaking out next to me and I was just sat there thinking, I'm not meant to be here. And I remember a couple of weeks on, I made the decision that if I didn't get it by half term, then I would leave and go back to running pubs and just be a good Christian doing what I was doing. And uh, every week, I didn't get a word of it. And I mean, I really didn't understand the word. And the last week, this was the big day, sat down and we had a special session. It wasn't in the class, we went to the chapel. And we went to the chapel and the guy came out dressed as Judas and presented the whole lecture as Judas. And I still didn't understand a word. But what he must have been saying was wonderful because people were just encountering God in an amazing way. And I was just watching. 
And then finally, it was so good, they had an impromptu praise session. I mean, literally, there were four or five songs on the piano, and everybody was hands in the air. People were just rejoicing, and I was just sat there going, this isn't for me. And while I was sat there, a guy came up to me, an Anglican guy called Jonathan Corr, who I'd spoken to once. I was a smoker then, and he used to walk past me smoking. And he said, Ben, I just need to tell you something. I should have told you this weeks ago. But every time I pray and every time I go deeper with God and every time I go to be filled with the Spirit, your face comes into my mind with the words, you are worthy. By going deeper, God had given him the gifts to bring me back into Shalom and back on the journey to what God had called me through the miraculous gift of the Spirit. And similarly, in my last year at college, still struggling, still in a difficult place, and we went to Chew Magna for a quiet day. And as Mackie would probably share, the quiet days of college are notoriously awful. And uh, I, so I, just, I decided to... I, I can't imagine you ever being quiet for that. Long, uh, and I just wanted to get away from everybody. I was in a bad place. And I went into an old Church of England church in Chew Magna. And I went into is it the Ladies' Chapel. And there was a tapestry of the calming of the storm over the, the altar, the table. And as I sat down and looked at this tapestry... God showed me from the calm and storm that he was going to lead me to a place of peace and calm. And I was on my knees in this chapel crying my eyes out. I happened to meet the vicar from there a few years later and I told him what happened. And he said, that's a 96-year-old lady in our church who's got a talent for tapestry and she prays that God might impact someone through her talents. It's only by going deeper and being filled with the Spirit does God give us the gifts to go out and enlarge Shalom. Evangelism is simply this. Is passing on the things that we've learnt in contemplation. Evangelism is simply passing on to those things that we learn when we're going deeper and then we're being filled with the Spirit. So three so far. Identity. I can't remember them now. It's terrible, isn't it? Identity, character and gifts. The fourth one is a curveball. We do it because God loves it. I don't know how many of you have done love languages. Have you done love languages, any of you, in your marriage preparation? It's when we show our love through a particular lens and we receive love through a particular lens. So I'm someone who shows my wife love by, by nice gestures and good deeds and words of affirmation. The problem is she doesn't receive love that way. She likes to touch. And I like a sofa to myself as I lie out and watch the cricket. <laughs> and, uh, sometimes it all goes a bit wrong. I bought my wife for a Valentine's present once. Um, a bench and I got a pack on it which um, have any of you seen Notting Hill it was our favourite film and, uh, and uh, I got a plaque on it which said to Ayers who loves his garden from Ben who sits beside her but the people were so used to doing plaques as memorial benches they got it wrong and they said, uh, to, to Ayers who loved this garden from Ben who once sat beside her <laughs> you know when, um, when, uh, when uh, the Pharisees when the Pharisees are testing Jesus, they say, what's the most important commandment? And he says, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. And the Good Samaritan teaches us how to love neighbour with extravagant kindness. What you might not have got, and this is my own feeling, is that the second story is about Mary and Martha. And I think the story of Mary and Martha is to teach us how to love God. And then you've got two love languages. You've got Martha in the kitchen doing good deeds. She's cooking up a feast. She's doing wondrous things. She's showing her love to Jesus by cooking a lovely seven-course meal. I mean, it's going to be great. 
Mary is showing her love to Jesus by being at his feet, by listening, by spending time in his presence. And Martha comes out of the kitchen and says, Oh, Jesus, sort Mary out. I'm panicking back here. I need to get it sorted. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Which is why I can't ever call a daughter Martha, because I feel like I have to say it twice. But Martha, <laughs> Martha, look at your sister. Come and be like her. And what I think we learn from this is that God and Jesus have a love language. And their love language is affection, intimacy, being with them. The way that God receives his greatest love from us is us spending time with him. A couple of weeks ago I was at Christ Church. I always point to Jenny when I say Christ Church because she's often playing the piano. And when I was at Christ Church, just two rows in front of me was this uh, young mum with one of those baby slings with a child right up, you know, like where they're just right against the heart. And I just thought, that's God's best position, is when we come to him and go deeper with him and allow him to fill us with his spirit. Four reasons why they had to wait. Four reasons why we must go deeper and fill with the spirit. Because that's how we know our identity as forgiven children of God. Is there that we get the character to show God to all we meet. Is there that God blesses us with gifts to join in his mission. And it's there that we please him so much. Four reasons why we must go deeper. So how do we do it? Let's go to Jesus for a moment. I love the first chapter of Mark. It's like a day in the life of Jesus. In the morning we see him teaching and preaching in the synagogue. And uh, it's all going well. And we hear the guy step out and say who Jesus is. And Jesus comes and down and casts out a spirit. And he's been preaching and teaching all morning. And let me tell you, preaching and teaching all morning is knackering. It's shattering. But after that, he doesn't go for a lie down or a rest like I might. Instead, he goes back to Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law's house. And he spends the afternoon with his disciples, teaching them what it means to follow him. At that point, he's even called to go and heal Peter's mother-in-law, just so she can make the dinner. I don't know. I think that's a, I, I wonder how she felt, really. Yeah, be healed. By the way, get the food on. And, uh, you know, so all afternoon, he spends with his disciples, eating and, and, and dining with them. And then in the evening, you're thinking, now it's time for a break. But there's a knock on the door. And as the doors open, they look out and the whole village are there with the demon-possessed and the sick. And everybody else has come to watch what on earth's going on. And Jesus moves about the crowd, bringing healing to everybody, casting out demons and bringing good news. It doesn't tell us in the Bible what time he went to bed. But it tells us what time he got up. Very early in the morning, Jesus went up onto the mountainside to pray. And whilst he's doing that, the disciples are getting edgy because they see all the work that needs doing. They finally find him and say, Jesus, what are you doing? And they move on to the next village to do the next 24 hours and to do the same thing. It was a part of Jesus' life to get into nature, to be still and to go deeper with the Father. It was a part of his rhythm. It was a part of his every day. In the final week of Jesus' life, before he was killed, he went to Gethsemane to pray. And there's a throwaway word in the gospel that says, as usual. It tells us that when Judas came to give Jesus that kiss, but Judas knew where he would find Jesus, because Jesus would be where he always is, in Gethsemane, in beautiful nature, in communion with his Father, going deeper, being filled with the Spirit, in communion. 
And if Jesus had that as a regular part of his day, how much more do we need it? Desmond Tutu once said, I'm far too busy to pray for less than two hours every day. How do we do it? Well, that Gethsemane, that nature, that beauty, that was Jesus' place to be in relationship with the Father. That was his place. But it might not be yours. And if I was to ask you, where is that place you most often meet God? Where is it most often you hear his voice? Where is it most often where you know his presence? That's your Gethsemane. That's where you spend as much of your time so that God can help us go deeper and fill us with your spirit, his spirit. On your chairs, don't start picking them up yet because I'll come on to it in a second. I've got a questionnaire from a book called Sacred Pathways. And it asks you, who are you? And how do you encounter God? And it's got different Gethsemanes, if you like, different pathways to meet with him. And in a second, I'm going to get you to do this quiz and work out who you are. And then I'm going to divide us into groups with those who are like us to talk about how do we spend more time there? What things are helpful? What things are difficult? And then we're going to share with one another and try and sell it to the rest of the church why we must be like you. And then we'll come to a close from this session. But what is your sacred pathway? I've got to say this right because I've written naturalist here. No, I haven't written naturalist. <laughs> I mean naturalist, yes. My, my spiritual pathway is being naked. No, my, so the first one is maybe yours is like Jesus. Maybe you're a, I've got to say it right now. Do I admit naturalist? Loving God outside. Some people believe that simply the Bible was made for reading outside. You know, it's there, but it's always talking about the still waters or the rook or the mountaintop. It's there that God often meets with people, whether it's Hagar in the desert, Moses by a burning bush. It's the walking with God in nature that people encounter God if your spiritual pathway is a naturalist. The second option is perhaps you're, and I can't say this word very well, like a senate, senate, help me out, smell, touch. Sensates. Am I saying that right? Excellent. When I'm at Westbury, I make words up as I go along. <laughs> and this is loving God with all of our senses. Henry Newen, a priest and prolific writer on the spiritual life, found himself dead tired. So much so he could barely walk. He was anxious, lonely, restless, and in his words, very needy. And then he went to a friend's office and saw the reproduction of Wembrandt's prodigal son. And he said, It's beautiful. It's more than beautiful. It makes me want to cry and laugh at the same time. I can't tell you what I feel as I look at it, but it teaches me deeply. This is people who find God through the senses. Touch, sight, taste, smell, sight. This is Ezekiel who feels a wind, sees flashing lightning, fantastic creatures, and a magnificent stunning throne of sapphire. It's him who hears the sounds of wings like a roar of rushing waters, And it's him who eats a scroll and it tastes sweet. Maybe your spiritual pathway, maybe your Gethsemane is in the use of the senses. Perhaps you're a traditionalist, loving God through ritual and symbol. This has been a big battle with me at Westbury when I was loving the minister there. I I have no tradition and I'm at a church that 
holds on to tradition and if I do communion slightly different or I leave out the Lord's Prayer or liturgy, it can be a real barrier. And But for Westbury, it's really important. They like the seasons of the year. They love to see Lent and Advent. They love to use good liturgy. They love set times of prayer. This is like the altars in the Old Testament or Ezra or Peter and John who followed set signs of prayers. Maybe your lens is a traditionalist. Maybe you're an ascetic, loving God through simplicity and solitude. Not me. I was just talking to someone earlier about a retreat I went on in Brecon, which literally is a hermitage in the middle of a field, on your own, no one. And worst of all, no internet. And no, no mobile phone reception. And I struggle. There's the people who just want to be off in the middle of nowhere. Simple. This is John the Baptist in the wilderness. This is Jesus himself tested in the wilderness. Perhaps your pathway is loving God through simplicity and solitude. Maybe you're an activist. Loving God through confrontation. This is Elijah at the top of Mount Carmen taking on the Baal prophets. This is Habakkuk. This is Jesus knocking over the tables in the temple. Maybe you meet God in your desire to want and change the world. Perhaps you're a caregiver. But you meet God in loving others. That by being pastoral and praying for the sick and being alongside people is where you incredibly meet with God, like Mordecai in the Old Testament who cared for Esther, like Jesus who looked with eyes of compassion on the world, like Jesus who healed the sick. It won't surprise you that mine's about to come up, but perhaps you're an enthusiast, loving God with mystery and celebration. In 2005, the greatest day of my life, England finally won the Ashes, and I was behind the sofa watching some of these test matches I could talk about cricket all day, and I won't, because I know it'll bore half of you. And there I am, hidden behind the couch, and finally we win. And I jumped, and I screamed, and I sung, and I was dancing around the room. And I say to myself, how can we do that to cricket? But to Jesus, who gave his life so that we may know life in its fullness. Enthusiasts of the disciples who threw away everything they had to follow Jesus. It's David and his poetry. It's unadulterated passion for God. It's two more. Perhaps you're contemplative. Loving God through contemplation. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. These are for people who seek the presence of God. Who want to talk about holding hands with God. Contemplative seek to gaze lovingly into God's face. And be caught in the rapture of a lover's experience. This is David. This is Martha being rebuked. (laughs) (laughs) The gift of prophecy. Words of knowledge. And the last one is perhaps you're an intellectual. Perhaps you find God, your Gethsemane's loving God with mind. Perhaps it's the new concept, the new idea, the wondrous issue to ponder. Perhaps it's grappling with scripture and what God's doing. This is like the Levites in Moses' time who were released to study and teach. Solomon who had wisdom. Jesus at 12 years old discussing the intricacies of the law. Perhaps your spiritual gateway 
is going deep. In a minute, you're going to do the quiz and it will tell you where you most likely and most often meet with God. Treat that place like your Gethsemane. That's the place where we should spend the most amount of time because it's there that we go deeper with God. It's there that we're filled with the Spirit of God. And it's there that he gives us that identity, that character, the gifts. And it's there that he's at his most blessed. And it's from that place we can enlarge Shalom and bring healing to the sick, good news to the poor, and see many people impacted with our wondrous hope. So, I'm going to give you five minutes to do the quiz. Can I say, I don't, if I ever ask Westbury to do something like this, they spend hours on it because uh, they feel like there's a right and wrong answer. I mean, really don't think about it much. Fill in the quiz, and in about five minutes I'll stop us, and I'll just see who's who, and then I'll divide us into those groups. So, okay.